Hi guys, welcome back to Into the Light, a different life story. My show on YouTube and as a podcast with me, your host, Chef Ahmed. Today is another day for a great interview. I've got Greg Corley with me. Greg is coming from Australia to me, so just over the ditch. And I forgive him for that because he has been living in New Zealand for quite a bit. So he gets away from now and then to jumping across the ditch there. There's always this good bunter between, between Aussies and, and Kiwis. So here you go, guys. Um, but that's not why I've got Craig here on my show. Craig is um, the, the owner of Brickman Yoga. And he has written a fantastic book, uh, Real Man Do, uh, Downward Dog. And when I saw that initially, I thought, this is, I need to read that book. Um, and here you go. It, I did. It is an amazing book, guys. Uh, trust me. So we'll talk a bit more about it. And I'm absolutely so pleased that I've got Greg today on my show. So welcome to my show, Greg. Thank you, Stefan. I really appreciate you reaching out to me and reading my book and uh, looking forward to having a good chat. <laughs> and it is, I'm, I'm so blessed and humbled because I read your book. So therefore, I actually know your story already. And I say that with a smirk because it is a, it's a story of trial and tribulation. And, and uh, it is a story of transformation. And that is what attracted me so much to you, and uh, especially your focus now on men's mental health. And that is something that we all need so much, because we stupid buggers, we think we know it all. And we, especially sort of in New Zealand, we are pretty much, you know, we, we seem to be relaxed, yet at the same token, we have the highest uh, suicide rate in, in, in teens in the OECD. We are very driven. And, and unless you, you fit into that mold, it's very easy to feel like a failure. And so therefore today, this is, this is mental health for the boys. Hey guys, well done for tuning in because this is, this is for us. And this is, this is the time to be open. And, and Greg started that in this journey in his book to, 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 open up and it's amazing but let's stop with the accolades and let's actually go straight to the money so greg when you were a young boy did you run around sit down in the lotus position thought um <laughs> was that your childhood <laughs> oh well you know i never did that and um <laughs> no my childhood was you know like get outside go and play in the bush you know, go and catch some eels and, you know, stay outside as long as you can and you'll get called home for dinner. That's that's kind of what we did. And we got injured and we got hurt and we learnt lessons and we learnt to be males, you know, and uh, that's what we did in those days and never thought twice about it. And it's, um, it's a different world now. And in the, to a certain degree, that's actually quite nice, free-ranging kits. I mean, yes, that is nowadays many people who would who would grow up in Melbourne or Sydney or Berlin or London. You know, there is they say this 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 green stuff. What's that? That's a tree, darling. What's a tree? So you your upbringing was very different. You very nature. You were you were out there, but it was it was male oriented. Your or let me rephrase that. Your 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 culture was introducing a male role model or a male role rules 
so to speak, into your upbringing, isn't it? Yeah, and absolutely. And um, so doing all those boy stuff and, you know, from that came the probably the just the understanding that I was going to play a team sport of some kind or play sport. And that for me, that was soccer, um, which I played right through into my 30s. And, you know, I think I started playing when I was about five. I can't remember. But so soccer and athletics, was my was my thing right through my younger ages to the end of my teens. I was running in the summer and and uh, soccer in, in the winter, and that's you know none of us Netflix. We didn't. Some I don't think we had TV till I was about ten or twelve. I can't remember. That. <laughs> I think I remember the first time that the the TV was really something. Well, colour TV anyway was when the New Zealand Christchurch had the Commonwealth Games, which I think would have been. Right, 74? I'm not sure. Uh, I'll be 14 then. <laughs> so very sport-oriented. And yeah. uh, and you were quite good in sports. And so that was actually something for you. You actually uh, went up to representative level. And, and you were out there. You're proving your mettle. You were a man's man, wasn't it? Oh, I love, I just love my sport and I love being active and I love the competition. Mm. And it's interesting, I've, I've reflected on this a lot. And I think a lot of got a, got a huge amount of self esteem from sport. Because, particularly, you know, I was lucky enough to be, to be above average in my ability. And, you know, so I'd often get quite good accolades for how I performed on a football field and I scored a couple of goals, whatever it might be, you know. And, um, so that was really a source of my self-esteem, to be honest with you, uh, was my sport. Yeah. I wasn't that great academically. Well, I was just a hard worker. Um, didn't love school much, but, you know, I realised it was kind of one of those things you realise you've just got to do this so you can have a chance. Yeah. And also in my day, which, you know, I, I sort of left school in the, in the second part of the, um, of the 70s, uh, jobs weren't that hard to find. Leave, leave school, get a good job. And just where you go, you know, and it was not that life wasn't that difficult really. Mm. It was pretty damn easy compared to what it is today, particularly for young men today. Mm. Uh, you know, there's a huge amount of demands on their time and on their uh, and distractions. Mm. You know, I didn't have a lot of distractions. This was like the funnel I was going down: um, sport, school, uh, job. That's it. You know, there was none of this other stuff. Stuff that, that the internet has created this massive amount of information and, and diversity and, I, yeah. and information that we never had. Good and bad. Oh, so true. So true. It is one of my, my pet hates. You're quite right. Um, but knowing your story, there were other distractions. And some of them were blonde, some of them brunette, some of them more. <laughs> so, you know, whilst we are blaming, whilst we are blaming the generation now for the internet, <laughs> I think for you, uh, you were quite successful, not just on the field, but also off the field. <laughs> and suddenly this alcohol actually came into the game as well, wasn't it? <laughs> yeah, I had my moments. Um, yes. Um, and that was actually the demise of my athletics career, fun enough. <laughs> Alcohol and girls. <laughs> so yeah, maybe maybe we shouldn't throw stones when we're sitting in the glass house. 
true enough. <laughs> but that is that is what we do. That is what every young man does. So they're, they're you know, every generation going back to Plato and, and the other Greek and, and Roman uh, big, big shots, they were complaining about their youth and how it's all going down the drain. So I think <laughs> that is just a repeating story. Yeah. But you're true. So in your life, so basically... Great sportsman, um, really enjoying it, living it for it. And at the surface theme is that's a beautiful, isn't it? You actually, you created a, an identity that mm. sustained you around the field. And then of course, I mean, being successful with the, with the other gender. Oh, beautiful, beautiful, beautiful. So that is, that is the other thing. So, so here you are, you're, you're feeding a certain masculine kind of role uh, and you you're succeeding and ultimately very similar in in my youth it was the same it was martial mm -hmm. arts martial arts martial arts four hours training a day and then by 18 19 yeah university girls alcohol and life changed so i know exactly where you were and and maybe that was also for me as a parallel maybe the time when I started losing myself, when I started sort of losing the, the, the focus. And I went with the flow. I went with the parties. I went with the, with the girls. Uh, mm. you, and you had some, some amazing times. You ended up actually, um, going first into accountancy and, and actually trying to make ends meet. So that is, you know, I mean, it is, <laughs> that's as good a job as any. And then, you, of course, you, you had the opportunity to go to oh, a nice tropical island for a year, uh, get a job in, what was it, Barclays Bank? Um, in <laughs> Tell us a bit about that. Yeah, so uh, uh, on my 21st birthday, actually, I've been working in Chartered Accountancy for a year after finishing part of my studies. And then my brother had moved up to Nauru, which is the phosphate island, dead on the equator, straight up from New Zealand, 30 miles south of the equator. It's only about, it's about eight miles around. And at that time, Nauru was the richest place, richest country in the world per capita because of its phosphate. And if you can imagine that, I, could, I think about that now and compare it to the likes of Saudi Arabia, which probably is, you know, all the, the, the Emirates, which are very wealthy. And you go, whoa, that's amazing. Um, but they were they were making mountains of money and they used to get expats up there to, to administration, et cetera. And I got a, I, and I went up to visit my brother on my left New Zealand on my 21st birthday and just had a whale of a time, you know, cheap alcohol was almost free, um, lots of girls, it was hot, it was just fun you know and, and I, I just I spent about three weeks there and I, I thought this is pretty good and then one day at a barbecue just before I left the guy who was running the, the local tax haven because it was a tax haven at the time uh, for Barclays Bank uh, we started talking and, and, I, and I told him what I did and he said well we're looking for someone like you right now I said we have a bit of a chat okay <laughs> so um so the agreement was made and I went back to New Zealand two days later, quit my job the next day and two weeks later I was back in Nauru for a year, for two years supposedly. Uh, only ended up in a year, but uh, wow, it was pretty, 
pretty amazing year for a young man. I had a great time, obviously. I don't, I don't think I, I, you know, I didn't learn much. Or I, really, I, did, I did learn a lot, actually. But um, it was kind of just a, a huge party year. And I loved it. Now, I always say it was the best year of my life. And it was in a lot of ways. Um, but uh, I'm glad it ended after a year because two years would have been pretty, pretty full on. <laughs> 1987 for me, Heidelberg, and then a trip through Europe that lasted three months. Yes, so I know what you're talking about. And the best year of my life? Exactly. Brilliant. So, and it's so beautiful that we had the chance to live that at the time when there were no cell phones around with cameras. Um, so, yes. <laughs> children, don't try that now. <laughs> um, <laughs> cool. But and then obviously sort of, you know, you came home uh, with two seats, you in one seat, your liver on the other side uh, in the second seat. Um, because <laughs> that would have been an interesting one. And then, but then you actually started getting a bit more serious and, and down the line. I jump a little bit in your story because you are, you actually, uh, became more entrepreneurial. You actually, um, ultimately ended up, uh, being a businessman, being owning, uh, a garage store business to start off with. And then you thought Windows, hey, let's, let's take on Windows. And, uh, so you were actually throwing yourself in there, weren't you? You were actually. Really, uh, now also applying the same principles that you had learned in your life, uh, going yeah. all out and throwing yourself into the business and becoming, getting a disease, the disease of being self-employed. Yeah, that's, that's an, an interesting um, journey into that because um, I mentioned in the book that, you know, my dad was a public servant. And, you know, the, the narrative for myself and my brother and my sister was just, you know, go and get a good job and, you know, rise your way up to the top. And that's how, that's, that's how, you, that's how you go. Uh, my wife, who I'd met, had been self Her father was had owned his own business. And so she had this idea in her mind that she was always going to become self-employed. And that kind of morphed it. Over time, the opportunity came to buy our own business, which was the garage door business in Tauranga. And, um, you know, I thought, okay. <laughs> I think I was 30 at the time. And um, so we just took it on. Uh, I was working in Australia at the time, and uh, we decided to, this is, it seems to be a bit of a theme in this, uh, doing things off the cuff. But anyway, we flew back to New Zealand for a weekend to look at the business and Think about it because it, my ex-wife's um, dad had found the business for us. And, um, you know, basically I, I had two questions. Can I do it? And what? how much money is it going to make? That's all I cared about, you know. And and he, he he was very strong in his affirmation that, yes, you've absolutely got the ability to do this and was going to make X amount of money, which was fine. And so, okay. So, Back to Australia, resigned the next day. On two weeks later, I was in there owning a garage door business, about which I knew absolutely bloody nothing. It was, it was very humbling because having been an accountant and uh, de dealing with clients and giving them advice on what to do, I, I found out within about two hours that, you know, I didn't have a clue. 
like the realities of owning your own business, like the little things that you have to do, which get in the way of the ability to own a, have a good structure, uh, is just they're just two light years apart. You know. Anyway, so that was that was my journey into owning a garage door business, and that was was a great move. And it was it was tough, and it was difficult, and I learned a lot, and and we became really successful because I just applied a lot of principles that I've learned actually through my football, funny enough. Because, uh, shall I just recap that football thing? Um, so, you know, when I was playing football, I played in a team that was very, we were really successful. We we would, uh, we were all ex-first team players uh, who'd been kicked out of the first team because my club had bought over a whole lot of English semi-pros. So all the first team, local first team boys ended up in the reserves. And we just cleaned up. And but we had a very strong culture of no prisoners, and like we were arguing, we were winning ten 0 and having an argument. And you know, I was a centre forward, so you know every mistake I ever made was was glaringly obvious because the ball would miss the goal. Um, and we we would just argue, and even in the change rooms afterwards, we would be in each other and like you did this, you weren't good enough, and over beer there'd be banter and. And it really, um, I, I, I kind of cognitively made the connection that success equals that kind of behaviour. And I ran my business like that. And I was a bastard, honestly. You know, and I, I look back at my poor employees at times and how I, how I acted towards them and the aggression that I ran with because I was like a no, I was going to win at all costs and my opposition I was very confrontational with my opposition. I was going for a fight with them, and which never, you know, over time, it never, um, it was totally counterproductive. Because um, no one, you know, no one wins a war. You know, we only have price wars with these guys, and, and you know, no one won, won the price, it just came down. We all lost a bit of money and, and maybe a bit of market share, and uh, no one won. So I, I kind of learned, and it took me until, I was out of my businesses and that did some courses to understand that's how I'd been operating. And I was operating that way in my marriage as well. Um, so that whole super aggressive, uh, unforgiving behavior, while it might have been very successful in my business, uh, as far as bottom line was concerned, it was not successful in regards to culture. It certainly wasn't successful in regards to my marriage. Uh, and you know, even when I learned that stuff, actually, when I sort of came to my realization that that's actually how I operated, I actually went to my ex-wife and apologized to her. I said, you know, I've learned some stuff about how I've been operating, had been operating, and I had no idea, but this is this is why, and this is you know, so my sporting culture it created my life culture, and while that can sometimes be good if you've got a really good culture, it can also be very destructive. And I'm very interested to know at some point if I ever get to speak to any of my old teammates, how they felt, if they ever get to read my book, how they might feel about what I'm saying. Whether they feel the same, or I don't know. I'm very fascinated to find out one day. I think there's only so much toxic masculinity that you can handle 
both as a woman living with someone like you, as well as you yourself, because it's a very destructive way of living. It's very aggressive. It's very, uh, there's fight and flight constantly. And that leaves a toll. That leaves, that leaves a very big disaster waiting to happen. And it is what happened to you, what you happened to your marriage, what happens to your success in your business, all these kind of things. There is, there is, we become counterproductive in our aggression and we become mean bastards who just are not nice to be around. Mm. And I don't think I'm, I was so different. Um, for me, there was a lot of anger and resentment down the line. In actual fact, these were the two emotions that really described me best for probably five years in my life. And I don't think I was a great dad. I don't think I was a great husband. Um, I'm not sure how well I was masquerading it at work. I was certainly probably, um, certainly very different. I was different then than I am now by, mm. you know, light and day and night. And, Sometimes we just need to be there. And sometimes the universe pushes us into these areas. And, and luckily, many of us come to a point where they actually realize enough is enough of that, or we can't continue like that. How did that come about with you? Where was this catalyst appearing? Oh, the realization? Mm. So, I mean, you were, you were, Basically, you were living in a very dark place at one stage in your life. What happened yeah. then? Yeah, so what happened was that is global financial crisis. Uh, prior to that, the marriage wasn't in great shape. Uh, I think I'd been married for tw 22 years at that point. Had two children, mm -hmm. 14 and 12, son and daughter. And... Um, DFC, the business started to tank. Because what I'd done, I'd grown the business. I'd grown to three different prongs of my business. So I employed up to 32 people at one stage. Had a lot of intermediate managers, which I, I learned uh, too late that I'm not good at operating through managers. I'm a very good hands-on operator where I can influence stuff with my own power, if you like. But uh, through managers, not good. And so the thing got out of control and then the GFC hit and then the chickens all started coming home to roost. Mm -hmm. And at the same time, marriage tanking um, and uh, so really dark place, you know, very, pretty close, I think, to losing everything. And um, then then I, um, we'll go back to the, the yoga thing, but after after that event, um, I, I went on a course after my marriage had broken up and all the rest of it happened. I went on a course uh, of personal development, which really looked at the structure of how you think and um, what shapes your thinking, etc. NLP, a bit like NLP, neurolinguistic programming. Mm. And I just came to these all these realizations of over time of how I'd been operating, some of why I'd been operating, and and did you really want to keep operating like that? No. Uh, and do you really want to still be in your business? No. Um, yeah, kind of very humbling 
uh, moments where you kind of realised, well, this was this was not good. I need to go in a different direction, and um, I'd already started on that direction uh, because I ended up going to to Nepal right in the middle of this crisis. Um, a great friend of mine. Well, he, he was actually an acquaintance at the time. And I call him a great friend because of what he's done for me. Um, we don't see a lot. We don't have any communication anymore. But um, he just walked into my office one day when I was in a complete and utter mess, and you know, hidden the hand. And he walked in um, just to say good day. I hadn't seen him for three, four, five years. He walked in, and I might hit my hands. Oh, you know, we're buggered. I don't know what to do. I've done everything I can. I don't know how to turn this thing around. And he just said, you have to go to, there's a course in Nepal. Uh, you have to go on this course. Uh, it'll, you're, at a, you're at a crossroads of your life. I can see that clearly. You need to go. So, yeah, fine. Thank you, mate. That was a great idea. I've got no money. Uh, my wife's, wife's nearly not <laughs> talking to me. Uh, go, how, the, how the hell am I going to tell my wife that I'm going, to, I'm going to bugger off to Nepal for two weeks? And by the way, you're going to have to come and work while I'm in Nepal. Anyway, he pursued me. I told him, you pursued me for a month and ring me, ring, would ring me every couple of days saying, you've got to go, you've got to go. I'm like, no, I can't go. Making all the excuses, money mainly. And then he wore me down. Oh, and what happened was the he had talked to the lady who ran the course and they'd both, she had agreed to basically give me the course for almost nothing, which was very, very generous. And he just rang me up to say, I've solved your money problem. It's not going to cost you anything except for some, basically except for some airfares. And I went, oh, because I've been to Nepal about five years before, I loved it. So the Nepal was a big pull for me um, to go back. Anyway, I always went, okay. And then I thought, Phew, now I've got to tell Andrea that I'm going to Nepal. So it, it happened. And in Nepal, unbeknownst to me, um, every morning, yoga. Never been on my radar at all. And we were doing yoga up on up on uh, the roof in Kathmandu with all the smells and sounds and this, the cool breeze from the mountains. And then we would do it up in the we did for a little trek up in the Annapurna's, and we'd be sitting under these eight thousand meter peaks with the clouds rolling in on a mat, and it's just amazing. And it was really hard for me, very hard physically, and for me to shut my brain up because my you know I was a constant chatter. And I walked into, I remember I walked into the room where this course was, there was about eight other people, and I just felt like fish out of water because I was miserable. And, you know, I, I could barely raise a smile or my self-confidence was zero, you know, marriage failure, you know, business, or where my self-esteem came from a business. So that was zilch. That had gone down the toilet. And then did yoga for every day. And it was just fab. I love the physicality because I'm very physical. Uh, and the, I like the fact that I found it really hard. And uh, but then Zoe, who 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 uh, ran the course, just said to me one day, because she did some one-on-one coaching. She's an amazing lady. Um, she she just said to me, um, you're 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 just observing, you're not participating. If you're sitting behind your eyes. There's somebody behind your eyes looking out but not doing anything. And she told me a few other things, home truths, like it was like someone hit me with a bat. You know, you go, whoa, 
whoa, what was that? And it was, I can remember, like my body physically moved, but didn't move. It felt like I was hit. Anyway, long story short, yoga, 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 for, for 10 days, back home to New Zealand, made decisions about how I was going to get out of this business operation. I had part of my business was tanking. So, and I hated it. I just could, I didn't understand it. Um, and if you can't understand the business, you sure as hell can't run it. So, and that was really taking everything else down the toilet with it. So, it was decided to just cut the losses and get rid of that. And someone said, kill the pig. It was the pig, and I had to kill it to move on. And um, so, we killed the pig. And, you know, in my, in my, my mind, being a battler and a, you know, like, I'm going to fight this thing. To actually cut losses is really foreign. But, oh, my God, wasn't it the best thing that ever happened to me? Because that pig died and things started to just slowly come back out again. And if I hadn't have killed that pig, it would have, A, it would have taken me, probably me, and it certainly would have ruined the businesses. So it was a, it was a very uh, humbling lesson to know when to, to give up particularly someone who's so success-oriented as I am and certainly was. That answer the question. Oh, hell yes. Hell yes. And I absolutely, I feel for you and I've, I'm, I can feel uh, the anger. I can feel exactly where you were at. And you, you basically sold it for a dime. He sold it just at the stock and and basically what what the 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 venue was worth and that was about it. Uh, but it is so nice when you actually read the book. I felt this 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 big load coming off your shoulders, and I mm. think that is so beautiful. I ran a large pain business or I was a pain physician, and I ran pain clinics around New Zealand and. It is, it is the job at me up and I invested far too much of my own emotions into, into the business, into my patients, into, I took on far too much of transference of their, their emotions, of the kind of bullying and the bad, the bad things that happened in, in, uh, around that time affecting some of my patients. And it was, it, it killed me. And it really put me to the brink where I then ended up in rehab. And as part of the, of me remaining or getting back into, to being a good doctor, I agreed to stop pain medicine. And this was one of the hardest things I've ever done because I had identified myself so much for it. And like you, I was a fighter, fight, 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 fight. And suddenly I had to stop that. And suddenly, uh, there was this void. There was this emptiness. Was there an emptiness for you, or was that actually pure bliss and relief? Well, when I came back from the port, I had the plan. The plan was my marriage was in really bad shape too, but I had to had to move the kill that pig first, and that took a year until that right. business sold. Right. And then. And then you know it was apparent in the in the from the time from Paul to the sale of the business that the marriage wasn't going to go anywhere. So, and you know prior to that, as a lot of people were in that GFC in in marriages which were toast, they had to stay together because they couldn't afford to part. Mm. 
And so Andrew and I stayed together. Um, uh, I couldn't afford to move out. And so three months after the business sold, because uh, I still had my main business, which was actually pretty profitable, um, I left. I, I moved out of the house and left my kids. And it was pretty traumatic, but, you know, it was time and it was the best thing that I could have done for everybody, including my kids and including my ex-wife. And my kids used to come around and see me and say, Dad, it's so much better than not here. And, I, you know, I never took that personally as being a horrible thing. I just took that as being a thing, positive thing because we've sold that negative energy that you poor buggers have lived with for far too long. And, um, and you know, you talk about, you know, I have regrets about my, how I parented. Uh, but, you know, you still have an opportunity, no matter what's happened in the past, to make things better. And, and now my, most of my kids live in Australia. They're all within two hours of me. I'm going to see my daughter in a couple of hours. She was in Brisbane. And we, are, we have a great relationship with my children. So, you know, so might have been a bit of a prick of a dad and not given them the time or attention that I definitely should have. But I've got an opportunity now to make things better. And uh, by supporting them, being with them, having time with them and getting to know them as people. You know? so, it's, so it's really good. Um, and um, what, hang on, I'm to rant there. What, no, 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 no. This is not ranting because you're speaking out of my soul. Um, you're, and I, it's spooky that you came up with that because I was about to ask you that. Um, I certainly, I wasn't there for my children. And certainly my younger son is quite outspoken about that, that that in his own right was a trauma to him. And that is something that he is dealing with now. Yeah. And I, I must say, yeah, it hurts as a parent. I love this young man. I love both of my sons to bits. I would give, give my life for them and to, to have the mirror held in front of my face and having to realize that I was far less than, than the dad that I would have loved to be in, um, with mm. hindsight is hard. It is hard. So it's interesting that you're able, that you were able to, to focus on the now and focus on the future and say, and, and uh, let, me, let me, let me ask you, have your children forgiven you or was it in fact actually never an issue for them? Um, I, I have, we have had discussions, particularly with my son. Uh, yeah, he's forgiven me. I mean, we, he and, he and I have been on a big journey together, my son, since he was 17. Um, that course that I mentioned that I went on, I recognised uh, that that was something that he should do, and I I bribed him actually. <laughs> I bribed him to go on the course, and and uh, he went kicking and screaming, and it didn't end Yeah, and I nearly he nearly walked out after a day, but luckily, uh, excellent. It, it, it transformed him. It made him. Re- he at the time was. 17, 18, he was starting to work on fishing boats. So making really big money for a young man working out of Tarana, go away for a sea for two weeks at a time, might come back with a mountain of cash, might come back with nothing if they don't catch anything. Mm-hmm. But generally, they and then they, you know, sailors home from the sea, they go crazy. Alcohol deals, drugs. Mm-hmm. So he was going down that really bad track. And so I got him on the course. And he still maintained that tra- that bad trajectory for a little while, but he, he kind of woke up to who who he was and what he was doing and why. 
and maybe part of the trauma of living in the house between my wife and I was a big problem for him and why he started going down the track. I'm not sure about that. So we we have a – he – we went to the US twice, three times together to, to do extra courses and we got to know each other really well. And he lived with me for like um, – two years in New Zealand before I moved to Australia and came, when he moved to Aussie, he came and lived with us for 18 months. That was way too long, by the way. It should have only been six months, but I needed to kick him out in the end. Um, but uh, he, um, yeah, we have a great relationship. He lives on the Gold Coast. He's an exceptionally successful real estate agent now at 26. Uh, his goal is to be number one agent on the coast, and he's going to be. He's not far off it now. Uh, he's, coming with, he's coming from a, a drugged out fisherman to an extremely successful, driven, hungry real estate agent, doing an amazing job. And my daughter's living on in uh, Brisbane and uh, with her partner. They moved out for two years. She, they moved in with us for three months when they came. And um, I thought I had great pain when, when I first moved because it was a, you don't know what's said you know, by the other party. But, you know, I felt that I was losing my daughter uh, when I left because her contact levels with me were very minimal. When it would come to my weekend that she'd come and stay often, she'd go and stay with friends. And it kind of suited me a little bit. But, you know, because um, um, I want my own space. But, yeah, I really was worried that I was losing her for a long time. And someone gave me some bad advice. He just let them go. Stay constant. Just maintain the story. Maintain your your uh, stability with them, and eventually they'll come back. Mm. And it's happened. You know, she's went to uni in Otago, got a degree, and over that over the last five years, we've got to know each other really well, and it's um, it's worked out really nicely. So, mm. so I'm very grateful. Both my kids are very close to me, which which. And it's really hard on their mum, who's still in Taranga. She hadn't seen it for two years because of this bloody COVID nonsense. So I'm very grateful for that, that's for sure. That's beautiful. But I guess the reason that they have come back is because you you remained the constant, you remained that bolder, and the reason you were able to remain in that strong position is because you started to look after yourself. You started to work on yourself uh, with going to the United States, going to to do courses to learn about yourself. And every single step you took from then on was actually focused towards becoming the new you. And that was the amazing journey that you sort of can pick up in your book and 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 feel from you now. I mean, the sheer fact that how you're how honestly you can talk about a quite quite dark part of you in the past, a dark version of you, and now to be there and actually giving man hope um, through yoga, through a way out. I mean, what a transformation! What a what a, a Story, what a change. So, and, but that change happened because you actually invested in yourself. You invested and you were open to change. You knew it could not continue like that. And I guess that's the same for many people who are listening to that show. I hope so. I hope so. 
unless of course it's those that I've bribed and that I've changed to the chair with their eyes kept open. You watch my show now. Uh, no, it rarely happens only in my household with my children um, under duress. <laughs> but um, the reality is that you guys are here because you feel that your life is at a point where you actually want to change. And especially for us men, it's really, really hard to find vehicles with which to, to, to implement that change. And, and I think for you, uh, Greg, you have just gone down that route and naturally you have started to open up and, and down the line, you had a new relationship and your new partner was actually, uh, was, was encouraging you to go out there and to find the new you and to, to actually create Brickman yoga. And how beautiful is that? So how was your first, how, how did you feel the first time that you actually did a yoga lesson? Not just with you trying to somehow get yourself in a pretzel, but actually now get yourself in a pretzel in front of other people and try to get them into pretzels. How did that go? Yeah, well, <laughs> that was interesting. But I started when after I did my yoga teacher training, I I, uh, I just started with a couple of friends in in a room twice a week. They'd come in and we just I just practice. And very self-conscious, as you can imagine. But I, you know, I, I'm, I'm kind of blessed that I'm quite, I'm quite a, quite a degree of self-confidence, mm. and yeah, probably self-confidence. I think so. Being up in front of people never really been a con- concern. I always, I've kind of always been in leadership positions in through my life. I was football captain. I was, you know, owned businesses, so leading people, so and talking publicly, etc. So. That wasn't hard. What the hard thing is, is to get over yourself. Like, and, the, and I still struggle with this sometimes. It's in yoga, uh, particularly when you shape like me and it, as flexible as I am, there's a tendency to really compare yourself to someone else. Hmm. I mean, I'll be in a class in a pose and there'll be three guys in that class doing it way better than me. And you sort of go, whoa. <laughs> What am I doing wrong? But you know, the realization is, well, actually, my body just can't do that. Mm. You know, I'm 60 years old. I'm not flexible as I should be. I've, I've neglected my body forever, and now do you think you can do that? Um, no. So it's it's actually about getting over yourself and just being who you are. And I think the feedback I get is this, that's one of the reasons for the, that people uh, like coming to my classes because. It creates a reality for them. Like, you know, if that guy can do it, I can do it. Which was really why, and it was Michelle, my partner, who who said to me right from the time she met me and found out I was going to yoga, she said, you should start doing yoga because I was looking for a new life. She said, you should become a yoga teacher for, and do it for me. You know, it was beyond my comprehension at that time. And over... The course of the next two years, you know, I, I, when, I moved, when I sold my businesses and moved here to Toowoomba, um, I just did nothing. I actually did nothing for like nine months. It was just amazing. Sat on my ass. I walked down the, to the local deli, read the paper, have three cups of coffee, talk to the locals, get to know people. And that was just a blessing. And not to, you think about it, how many people, how many blokes 
get the opportunity at like what was I doing, 55, to just drop out and chill out, let the brains, you know, like like let the brains decompress. I call it decompressing. And like decompress, and then slowly you can start seeing things a little clearer and try try a few things. Like I did that, I did that. You you alluded to it earlier that meditation retreat for ten days for Passiona, which was mind blowing and, and very very difficult. No no talking for ten days. Meditate for like twelve hours a day, or try to. Um, and and but that meditation retreat. At that point, I was I was formulating maybe I could become a yoga teacher, but you know I couldn't get over my own persona and you know I'm a businessman and how can I teach yoga to men and and but I, because it was I had so many objections I had to get out of my own way and that retreat cleared everything away. I walked out of there knowing that this is what I'm going to do, and then because I came home, I said, right, when's the next teach train? That was it. I just I, the, the retreat had managed to clear away all my objections and personal images and all that stuff. And I went, yeah, let's do this. So yeah, pretty pretty weird, pretty amazing actually. When you when I before I reflect, mm. uh, and you know, then the other challenge, of course, I had. I'm teaching yoga to blokes in a country town in Australia, so we're. We're like 130 k's out of Brisbane West, yeah. on top of the dividing range. It's a big, it's a big inland. So it's about the same size as Taranga, uh, Toowoomba, yeah. but it's it's a it's a rural town growing up into a city. And so I'm getting all these Aussie blokes trying to convince them that yoga is a good idea. <laughs> well, it's been a hard yards for a while. I'm mean, starting to, the momentum is starting to roll now, and it's it's bloody great, and it's very. Um, gratifying when you see people's advancement where they walk in in, in a certain manner and all walking and going well oh, I'm not sure I really want to be here and then they suddenly realise everyone in the class is like them uh, we've all got injuries we're all varied ages from 40 plus to 70 and uh, we just do the best we can we have a few laughs and um, very gratifying and yoga creates and this is one of the things that you do as well I gather is that uh, one of your passions is yoga creates a space where people can become vulnerable as much as it's not, it's not just lying around doing funny moves with your body. It's, it's a very um, opening up process of yourself. And there's been numerous occasions where someone walked up to me after a class and can I talk to you? And, you know, they might have tears, they might be, you know, like going through marriage, marriage breakups or whatever it might be. And um, it's become a catalyst, a space where they feel safe. But they all know my story. You know, I'm open with my story. Um, and particularly now having a book, they've all read it, most of them have. If they haven't, I'll find out who they are and make sure they do. Um, <laughs> uh, so, you know, they feel safe. And, it's, and that's one of the great things. And we're creating a lovely community of folks and we have, we, we, you know, we don't, we're not being yogis and we'll go out for a beer on a Friday. We, every three, four Fridays, we have what I call yogi beers, where we all go down the local pub and have a few beers and a chat. So, it's, so um, yeah, it's been a journey. 
if you look at what people really want, it's connection. If you boil it down to to what is missing in many lives is is a purpose and a connection with others who who are in the same on the same path. Mm. And whilst you are in a rugby club or in your case a soccer club, you had the toxic masculinity uh, being actually quite a toxic environment in which you guys were were bathing yourself constantly in there. Suddenly here you have got an environment in which you go through through some stretching exercises so that if there's the physical release of tension and then with that physical release of tension you have got suddenly also an environment that fosters you being yourself and that is something we men are not used to we mm. are constantly putting up that persona that mask of being completely in control mm. being being the best being the coolest being the the, the kind of ugh, stressful absolutely stressful but we live it we live it and we we adhere to it because it has been so etched into us it has been so hardwired in us that mm. that you know i mean we are talking here 50,000 years of evolution that kind of hardwired and then our social circumstances where it's still in certainly in your in your setting it was the, the classic thing boys don't cry uh, all these kind of things that is that is how we were brought up so to now suddenly say, do, wow, I actually step into that yoga class or I, I go out there and have a similar experience um, that is so powerful and so beautiful. And for that, I, I thank you that you have opened up that space for a man to be men, to actually finally be real men, those men that actually can can admit that they are pricks and that they are idiots and that they are not perfect and that they are uh, full of shit sometimes. I mean, just bullshit in order to to keep the mask up and and it's fuck off. It's just it is, uh, uh, and that's the really nice thing. I I I see that in in some other sports uh, that I do here or not sports ways of coming together and focusing out there. And it's just, it's beautiful when that happens. I try to do that in my job. I try to have that openness uh, to foster that, that level of we can be ourselves and you don't have to bullshit me every single day that you're, that everything is fine. On the contrary, that, that, you know, and that's beautiful. So if we can just start, so, uh, sowing that seed and, and, and actually getting it into, especially men, that it's okay not to be okay. My goodness. Would that world not be a, a much, much nicer place? And would that not be so beautiful? And yeah, well, yeah. I, I had no idea that that would be a, an outcome of what I'm doing. But <clears throat> one thing about a place, a yoga mat is a very simple little oblong piece of piece of rubber you can't be anything but yourself on that mat <laughs> you know, like it, there's a lot of self-acceptance you have to go through the struggle mm -hmm. 
and trying to do stuff that you can't do and trying to push yourself too hard or comparing yourself to the guy next to you or in front of you, you can't, you just, there's a point at time where you come to accept, this is me and I'm just going to do the best I can. You know, and um, it's one of the strong messages I have with these dudes is when they walk in, don't take notice of the guy in front of you. You just do your own practice. If you've got to sit down and put your head on your knees, do it. I don't care. No one here cares. Just do, do look after yourself. And so there's a great degree of self-acceptance in, in yoga. And as I said in the book, there's a little saying I love, which is yoga helps you to learn the consequences of being yourself. So, you know, you're on, you're on a yoga mat, and which could mean physically, it could mean, you know, mentally you get really shitty in a particular pose because you don't like it. And you know, I'm going to hold it. You know, that teacher at the front's going to hold that pose for a long time. And I hate this pose. And it's not until you get to the point where you go, okay, it's a pose. I'm going to go through the process. It is going to end and we'll be good. Which, which is really a Buddhist thing, if you like, about, um, about attachment. You get attached to an outcome. And the Buddhists will tell you that attachment creates misery. So if you get to look in a yoga perspective, you have a pose you hate. This is I used to have a pose on this school, lizard pose. I hated it with passion. And every time I go into it, my face screwed up. And, oh, Christ, when's this going to finish? And I just battled it the whole time. And it wasn't until I let go of, yes, it is going to end. I just got to breathe through this. It's going to end. And I'll do my best. And it does end. And once you get to that point, I actually quite like that pose now. <laughs> you got to let yourself let all this stuff go and understand who you are. And you know, it's, it's who would have believed a little thing like doing yoga would? I wouldn't have. Um, would create so many different avenues of transformation and thought. It's crazy, just crazy. <laughs> it's beautiful, isn't it? <laughs> and it's it's crazy. It's the it's the these kind of little realizations where you go through something like that and then you think, oh, that's actually a cool lesson. And without you knowing it, you start using the same, maybe for an anxiety attack or, or, or a really stressful situation. And suddenly, instead of getting really, really angry about it, you know, it's coming like a wave and it will wash over you if you like it or not. But you might as well accept it that this wave is coming, like in the ocean. That wave is coming. Yep, you can shout at it, but nah, <laughs> the wave doesn't care. So it's the same there. And it's that kind of flow and effect. And and that is what you're opening up with little, little, little lessons like that. So mm -hmm. it's beautiful. So you become the catalyst. You become the 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 uh, the merchant of hope, so to speak. You are sowing those seeds. And that's a very, very beautiful position to be in, isn't it, Greg? You are. Oh, I, I'm, I, I absolutely love what I do in mm. regards to the way that I can make a difference to, to people and mm. have seen major transformations of people, physically, mentally, emotionally. It's, um, you know, I mean, I don't, I'm not perfect. I still have my own struggles. Mm. Uh, and you know, sometimes my own lessons are hard for me to remember. Um, <laughs> you know what I mean? Um, uh, you know, you know, like with some of the things I'm reading, you know, I wrote in the book, and then you know, something will be going on. And I'll go, oh, cross, you're not even listening to yourself, you know. So it's um, it's it's a constant. You got to constantly keep working at this stuff. Mm -hmm. 
you know, I don't live like Buddha. Uh, <laughs> just because I sit on a yoga mat, tell guys how to do yoga. I'm a normal dude. I drink. I love beer. I like a scotch. Uh, I have arguments. I have relationship problems. All that stuff. But and I'm far from perfect, but I can tell you that without the process I've gone through, uh, my life and how I operate now would be vastly different. And, you know, and not and not have as good a result, if you like, as I do. Mm. And they're not all perfect. You know, I don't always have wins. Don't worry about that. Mm. And that's beautiful. Absolutely beautiful. I think I would like to touch upon one more thing. And emphasize one beautiful little snippet out of your journey. When you were in really dark, dark times, you had this guy, acquaintance, walk in after not seeing you for a few years and saying, hey, mate, how are you doing? And by the way, here is this opportunity. I think you need a break. You're on the crossroads. If you think back, of all the encounters that you had, that was probably one of the key, key, key encounters there where someone actually checked in on you and saw where you were at. And again, it's that the power of human connection that someone is actually, is actually just picking up the phone or in this case, walking in and, and unannounced and said, Hey, how are you doing? Let's have a coffee kind of a thing. And I think that is something that can be so powerful. That can be so beautiful. That can be, that can make the difference between literally life and death. Because you were in very dark places and you yourself said you were actually not far off really crashing and burning. And for all we know, this guy might have actually literally saved your life. And, yeah. uh, and it's probably not too much a stretch of imagination. Yeah. And certainly, um, the, the same applies in my life. So I think I want to encourage you guys out there, anyone who's listening, we're all going through strange times with COVID, with other financial instabilities, with other disasters, climate change, all those things can have direct impacts. And you don't know where someone is that around you, where they are on their journey. And I think it's just sometimes so nice to just say, Hey, are you all right? And actually listen, what comes back and actually truly meaning, are you all right? Um, should we have a coffee? That little phone call, that little smile that you send someone might be the, the, the candle in the darkness that they need. And so I want to so, so emphasize that go out there, guys. Yes, it's a shit world at the moment, but at the same token, we can make a difference. You, I'm trying to make a difference with my show here. Greg makes a difference with his yoga courses by opening up his, the, his, his way of living to real men <laughs> who now do yoga poses. Hey, <laughs> so this is cool. This is cool. Why not you guys out there be the spark? Uh, the, the, the candle in someone else's darkness. So if we can all do a little few things like that, I'm sure we can make this world a better place. And let's, let's do that together. And let's, let's, you know, 
And guys, if you if you happened to be somewhere on the east coast of Australia and you actually want to check in with, with Greg, Greg, tell us where you are. And more importantly, tell us more about your book so that people can find out more about you. Thank you. Yes, I will. Um, and just very going back to that point you made about Graham walking to that office that day. You know, was that divine intervention? I don't know. Do I believe in that stuff? I'm not sure. But it, it was um, uncanny and he did change my life. It was, it was, he said to me, he said, you're at a turning point. And he was right. And I could have gone either way. And I was definitely within two or three months of a breakdown had I not gone to Nepal. So, yeah, you're right. And that's one thing that I certainly try and do. If I see any things of the, if my guys struggling and I can tell, generally I'll reach out to them and have reached out and had coffees with many of my guys and had just had personal conversations. So, you're right. Um, where am I? Toowoomba. Uh, the thriving metropolis of Toowoomba. So if, you, if you're in Brisbane and you go straight west on the motorway and where you come to the Great Dividing Range and you go straight up nearly a 1,000 metres, thousand feet, we're on the top of the escarpment. So the temperature drops three degrees when you come up to my place. It's crazy. It's hot down in Brisbane. It's going to be cold in Toowoomba. It gets to zero here. It's cold here at the moment. Um, so Toowoomba, I have my classes, uh, six classes a week. Um, and I do some online stuff as well. There's, I do actually have an introductory introduction to men's yoga course you can get online. Uh, so my website is www.gregcorleyyoga.com.au or www.brickmanyoga, which is B-R-I-K-M-A-N, yoga.com.au. And there's an online course you can do, which will give you four hours pretty much of introduction to yoga. That would be worth doing for guys maybe thinking about that. My book, that's another weird thing. I never thought in the, in the world I'd become an author. Um, but I, I got involved with this company in regards to uh, profile and stuff. And they said, for credibility, you must write a book. And I wrote this thing twice, actually. I wrote it once under my own volition. And then I decided to talk to somebody, an expert, and they said, great book, re rewrite it. <laughs> <laughs> it took me nine months to write uh, first time and six weeks to write the second time. And this is it here. Uh, real men do downward dog and it's back to front, of course. But so there's, there's the brick trying to do a downward facing dog. <laughs> and the book um, is it, really just for men to read so they can think that or realize that yoga is not something mystical that bendy females only can do. It's something I can do you know, as part of my fitness wellness ongoing. Um, and like I detail my story because it, it's got a lot of reference in there, which I think a lot of men will relate to, particularly guys at 40 plus, mm. when we all go start going through that pressure, kids, career, money, marriage, all that stuff. When things start lumping on top of this, this to me, this yoga stuff is, the, is a great way to help even that out and create a good base to go forward with. So I also talk about uh, what I believe difficulties men face at 40 uh, in regards to family and balancing stuff, why we don't want to go to yoga while we should, a bit of history about the practice. Mm. And, uh, yeah, it's, um, it's been an interesting journey and, and I'm pretty proud of what's come out of it and uh, and and uh, love you to you know, get it on Amazon, I think, uh, Amazon. 
is the major place to buy all most of the major online bookstores. Um, so the real men do down the dog. <laughs> Who would have believed that? It's about as believable as me becoming a yoga teacher, to be honest. <laughs> In all fairness, I, I have to say this is uh, I try to, to read all the books of all my guests and, and sometimes it's just such a flurry of activity. I, I don't get around to it. And so it was nearly the same with Greg. Um, so I made an, a, a point of, of this morning, really starting to read his book. And I couldn't put the bloody thing down. And it was I was getting annoyed. Shit, it's coming to interview time. Now, come on, come on. I want to read more. <laughs> so it is absolutely it's lovely. And that that shows because uh, certainly middle-aged male yeah okay doing all the stupid things that we did in our in our youth and having some of the scars to prove it and in your case the injuries and i'm finding myself turning more into a brick it is all that is us that is men that is being stupid when we were young and bulletproof and full of testosterone and unfortunately we are now paying the price for it but guys the past does not equal the bloody future okay only because we have lived 30 years, 40 years, 50 years of maybe a life that with hindsight, yeah, hmm. um, that doesn't mean to say that you cannot turn your life around. That doesn't mean to say that suddenly you can you cannot make this break turn a bit more flexible and a bit more, you know, you won't do the splits tomorrow, but hey, you might actually feel so much better afterwards. So, and not after doing the splits tomorrow. You will not feel better. Don't try that at home. <laughs> don't, don't try that at home. <laughs> it doesn't end pretty. <laughs> but you will be amazed about the progress, as with everything, in, in, in learning to love yourself. It's a very painful story, uh, inevitably a, pain, a painful path that you choose. Uh, but if you start actually addressing some of the things in your life, you will be a better man. There's no two ways around it. It is, and, and yoga and meditation and actually getting off the hamster wheel and actually just stopping and actually thinking about yourself can be one of the most powerful and beautiful things you will ever do in your life. Doesn't matter who you are, what you have done, what you have created, what you have achieved. I don't care how many millions you have got. I don't care how many houses you have got if you're a property investor. I don't care. The moment you start tackling the demons in there and the dark spots in there and the dark memories and the dark experiences, the negative emotions, that's when you really become a man. And that's powerful. And I think Greg has got the ability to guide you there. And I, I so hope that, that you will go to places that you need to go to, to spread your message out there because the message is so needed. We men need to hear it, that there is hope and that we can expect to get our shit sorted if we put the time in, if you put the work in. And if you start finally loving the true us in there, not that fucking persona that we put up in for everyone else to see, which is so fake, it makes me cringe. And that applies, I'm talking about myself here, okay? And, but let me guess, you will probably recognize yourself a little bit there too. Greg, thank you so much for sharing all, all those quite painful memories and where you had been. But it's so fantastic to see where you are going and, and this path. And 
uh, I want to see, well, I would love to look into the future what happens to Greg in the next year. Because once you started a, a, such a journey of transformation, you don't stop. It's not just, oh, great, that's it now. Hey, cool, I can, I don't know, I, that's me now. No, you've learned, wow, you can change. So any ideas? Do you want to give us a sneak preview of the new Greg to be? Yeah, um, well, in the next 12 months or probably the next six months, I want to start taking some, uh, start building Brickman Yoga either, either on the Gold Coast or in Brisbane. I'm trying yeah. to determine where the best best market is for me. Yeah. Um, and because and, I have uh, two or three of my students are actually becoming teachers now, which is oh, cool. awesome. Cool. Um, and so they're following my path. Yeah. So then I can effectively, I'm creating some layers because yeah. at the moment I'm the only one that can do it. I'm the only. I'm the only male yoga teacher in Toowoomba. Um, uh, but like, you know, have you seen that program, Little Britain? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I'm like the only gay in the village, you know. <laughs> Shit. That's how I can, that's <laughs> so, <laughs> so uh, um, yeah, so I'm, once I've got these guys in place, yeah. they'll sort of come up under me and start taking some of my classes when I can start. Uh, reaching a field, but my main focus is actually uh, to start speaking publicly. Nice, nice. And I'm doing some work on that. Most part of the reason for the podcasts as well uh, is to bring raise raise profile and uh, start talking to groups and maybe conferences. And mm -hmm. that's pub. So becoming a speaker is really where I want to go because I think the message is relevant now and in ten years. And it's relevant to every bloke. Mm. We're all going through our shit, and not in. And a lot of us have got no idea how to get out of it. No idea what's worth. And had that man not walked in my office that day, mm. I probably would. I doubt I'd be here today. To be quite honest with you, so, transformational, amazing. And um, <clears throat> and had I not discovered yoga as a result, accordingly, I, I certainly don't think I'd have been in the same mental, physical. I wouldn't be in the same. Wouldn't be good physical. Um, physically, because I, I was drinking a lot. I still have, I still like drinking, but I can't do much because my body won't let me anymore. I've got a job to do. <laughs> no good doing, doing yoga, teaching yoga, the hangovers. No <laughs> and but then again, why do we drink? Because we want to escape reality. And therefore, if you actually deal with a, a, the, the current reality and change it, literally change your reality. Uh, into something that you actually truly enjoy, that you actually, that into a life that you are proud to live and that you're happy to live, suddenly the need to escape is actually no longer so strong. And that is quite a powerful thing. Yeah, no, it is. So, uh, yeah, and that, that's been one of the great things. It's physically, it's been so much, I've really cleaned up a lot because, you know, my body won't do what I need it to do. And I'm very, I've become more aware of my body now that I'm, I'm being more quiet, getting quiet in a yoga class. It helps you connect with yourself. You understand, you feel things that you never felt. Because what, what we are, in a crude analogy, we're just this big meat body walking through the universe without any feelings or understanding what's going on. Until you quiet yourself down and get out of your noise of your head and, and the environment, you don't feel what's happening for yourself. So the feeling... When you start poisoning yourself with alcohol, it doesn't feel good so much anymore, or it feels worse because you're more aware of it. So that's that's a big thing. 
Anyway, um, I'd love to do some public speaking. So if anyone's out there wants a conference speaker, I'm your man. <laughs> you heard it first here. Come on, guys. <laughs> so, and if you want to get in touch with Ben down there, look into the, the description of the podcast or of the video. You will find all his links down there. Now, whilst you're down there, you might as well press the subscribe button because that way you will find more speakers like him. I'm honored and humbled to have some fantastic uh, people coming onto my show like Craig, who really actually changed my own perception of yoga in all fairness, reading his book, talking to him now and seeing that even a brick, uh, a brick man in this case, can you can do, can do the pretzels and the downward dog that, that is actually quite encouraging. Um, and yes, I was, I looked at yoga. I did actually in, in rehab. We had a yoga class and I've never heard as much and sweated as much in my life as, as, as when this woman put it, put us through the, the, the positions. Um, so that all is sort of flooding back to me. And uh, there might just be a risk that I might actually check you out on your website and actually have a look at your introductory course. And, uh, put my money where my mouth is, so to speak. <laughs> so now that's great. I uh, look, Craig, I'm so, so grateful that you came onto my show. Thank you so much for your time, for your passion, for, for going out there and, and being transparent and being this, this kind of new version of you. That is for sure much, much nicer than probably the guy. Would I have met you 20 years ago, 15 years ago? This would have been probably a rather different Greg. And so I, I'm, I'm really pleased that I met the new version of you. It's a really nice version. Thank you, mate. Look, I'm, I'm really grateful that you found my book and, mm -hmm. uh, and really, really loved the opportunity to mm -hmm. talk with you, you and your people and, um, love what you're doing as well for, Looking after blokes, we, we need looking after. Shit, yeah. Cool. And you guys out there, look after yourself and, and make right now a decision. What is when you switch off this, this talk? What will you do for yourself? Do one thing, a little thing for yourself. Glass of water to rehydrate? Cool. Um, eat something healthy? Cool. Go for a walk? <laughs> Even better. Hey, make a call. The past does not equal the future. So make the most out of this. this Whatever time it is in, in your place when you listen to it, a day, evening, just live it consciously, live it right now and, and make the most out of it. Look after yourself. Bye. <laughs>